My name is Megan Bob, and I'm here to understand the mysteries of wrestling. And my name is Miles. We're doing that now, apparently. And I'm here to help. With the aid of my favorite wrestling show, this is The Next Wrestling Fan, an NXT review podcast for would-be wrestling fans who don't know where to start. And current wrestling fans who want to relive the magic of that first time. Mm, This week... No questions are off limits in our coverage of the episode of NXT that originally (laughs) aired on July 3rd, 2014. Some questions that could be asked include, which wrestlers become friends? Mm. Which wrestlers are no longer friends? Gasp. And of course, why can't Tyson Kidd get an erection? Aww. episode 59 of the next wrestling fan a podcast of fights and feels last episode my wife was on the show sharon schneiderman uh to talk about becky lynch's debut which was extra great yes uh becky is back my wife is not back sharon sharon is not here but becky is back with a brand new best friend on this episode which is kind of an episode all about friendships and relationships so uh should be right up megan bob's alley but we'll find out for sure in bob's breakdown after that, we will see if we can't uh, bond a little bit with the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling <laughs> and see that connection blossom thanks to Bob's fanfic before putting our allegiances to the test in the wrestling term of the week. But no matter how it all turns out, rest assured that the real friendships were the cheap pop quiz points we earned along the way. <laughs> And uh, since we had a guest on the last episode, there was no cheap pop quiz, which means we don't have to go over any answers, which means it's time for us to jump immediately into Bob's Breakdown. On our commentary team, Byron Saxton, Tom Phillips, and William Regal. Pretty good. Pretty good combination. Match one, out comes Big Cass and Hype Chihuahua, Enzo Amore, who has the most disastrous combination of a mohawk and a ponytail. (laughs) I love both of these things, and I hate this combination. It is like someone jammed a horse mane and tail together in some unholy truncated equine. (laughs) It's, It's real bad. They get on the mic and are mean, and the crowd is into it. S-A-W-F-T, soft. Sylvester LaFour comes out with Marcus Louis and says some mean things, which the crowd doesn't especially react to. He does shit on New Jersey, which yeah. is an American tradition. But I guess it's like when someone says something mean about your hometown, you're like, hey, fuck you. That's my job. Right. The match starts and Sylvester LaFour lays in some blows with a determination that I personally appreciated. And then Big Cass does that swinging body slam on him to pancake him into the mat and then follows it up by elbowing him into a fine pace for the win. Fair enough. Very quick. Very quick victory for Cass. Backstage, Adrian Neville is talking to Devin about his win over RVD when Tyler Breeze interrupts to bait him by saying, Does it bother you? Does it bother you not knowing when I'm going to cash in my title match? Adrian Neville goes, Uh, no? Hadn't really (laughs) been on my mind? Do you want to go tonight? We can. But Breeze had a tragic hand modeling accident and injured a finger, so he can't tonight. But he would eat you alive, but for that. Package. 
Discount Eddie Kingston is here for some scratchy black and white recaps of why Bull Dempsey is not to be fucked with. And then you know who else is not to be fucked with? The BFFs. Because it's time Mm. for match two. They seem to be on the same page. Sasha and Charlotte are wearing matching red outfits. They look coordinated. Bailey and Becky Lynch come out and they look fucking adorable together. They're pointing excitedly at each other like dogs that haven't seen each other for two seconds. They're like, ah, it's you, it's you. (laughs) Then a nice thing happened. The, well, okay, not a nice thing, but a nice response to a thing. The Sasha's ratchet chant starts and Charlotte covers Sasha's ears and shakes her head in disappointment at the crowd because she is actually right and a good person in that one second. And I was Mm. like, good for you. Bailey and Sasha start the match and, uh, Trade off to Becky, who does all right for herself until Charlotte gets tagged in. And then it gets a little hairier. Becky tries that move where you sling a leg over your opponent's neck and then sort of try to use it to flip them. Something. I don't know what that move is. It's unclear what she was going for at that moment. I'll say that much. Okay, good. Because I was like, I have seen people do it, but I never remember what happens when you do it. it regardless, say it doesn't work, but it does look pretty cool. And so she does this arm drag instead, which I was like, that's why a workmanlike choice. (laughs) There are then legit tag team tactics. Bailey and Becky are trading off Charlotte like a bottle of orange juice and vodka at an underage party. And they jointly suplex her. Charlotte and Sasha cannot believe the gall. So Sasha and Charlotte are on the outside and Bailey pursues. Mistake. Mm -hmm. Bailey gets the BFF beat down. She's brought back in the ring and handed off to Charlotte, who tenderizes her like a cheap steak before doing that tremendous leg lock into a somersault with Bailey attached that makes my obliques want to cry. <laughs> it's amazing every time, even though it's not like a super flashy move, but watching somebody physically somersault another person with their core strength alone is yeah. impressive, even though it's not like watching somebody. It's not like watching the Red Arrow. And yet, it's in some ways more amazing. Agreed. So now Sasha and Charlotte are trading Bailey off. Joint tum-tum kicks. Gorgeous. Bailey is able to use their togetherness against them. And then it's like this Warner Brothers cartoon. They bonk them against each other and then kick one into the other. So they go spilling to the mat. Hot tag to Becky. Three leg drops in a row on Sasha. Charlotte breaks up the pin attempt and the ref is like, ah, rude. Charlotte gets tagged back in for realsies and does bow down to the queen on Becky for the win. The crowd boos. So I was like, oh man, they're kind of into it. Sasha comes over to taunt Becky and Bailey snaps, tossing Sasha out of the ring. This was kind of a longish match. This was maybe like 13 minutes, possibly. Mm, Maybe not. I can can tell you that exactly. If you give me two seconds. Eight minutes. Oh, what? Yeah, All so, right. Well, I mean, that's not still, bad. That's still pretty long. And I feel like it told the full story, so I wasn't unhappy with it. I was like, this was an actual match. A thing happened. Yeah. And I think it was really interesting the way it kind of set up what happens with them later, because Charlotte is clearly like kind of upset with Sasha. Yeah. Because she was getting beaten down by Becky so much, especially there at the end. So it was almost this weird thing where like, Charlotte was like, fuck you, tag out, let me handle it, bow down to the queen, we win the match. <laughs> you know. And then yeah. you know, from there we get the aftermath of uh, her not coming to help Sasha when Bailey attacks her. We'll get to it, but I, I thought it was a little strange as a way okay. of handling this. Okay. Backstage, peer pressure in professional wrestling. 
Tyson Kidd is here, like the ghost of fucking Christmas future, to tell Justin Gabriel that he's going to be lost to obscurity if he doesn't put his boot on the neck of everyone trying to rise up in the ranks. Gabriel claims that he's going to prove him wrong and beat Sami Zayn. So I'm like, oh no, that's not going to go well for you. We get an ad detailing all the work that goes into a WWE live show and then shows this empty arena saying that there's no WWE without you, the audience. And then it showed the crowds and the wrestlers performing for screaming throngs. And it was so weird because all I was those like, people are getting COVID. Well, I was like, is this an ad that came out now? But it's not. It's an ad from like way back then. But yeah, it felt like an ad that they released last week. I felt manipulated and I felt mad about that. But also I was successfully manipulated and I felt like they cared about me, even though they don't. So I was like, I know. So I wasn't that mad, but then I was extra mad because I knew I should be more mad. The eternal dilemma of the wrestling fan. Yeah. So there was a lot of mad calculus feelings about this. That makes sense. Backstage. What the hell was that, Charlotte? You watched Bailey attack me. And now we get the breakup speech. Charlotte doesn't want to be frenzies anymore with Sasha. And Sasha's like, well, have fun facing Summer Rae when she beats Bailey for the number one contendership. Good luck, boo. And I thought it was kind of weird that this breakup has been coming from miles away and that they did it in a backstage segment instead of like in the ring where it could have been a whole thing. Is it because it's smaller? Like it wasn't a big betrayal and they're like, nah, never mind. We'll just show up backstage. I guess, yeah, It's it was a weird way to break them up. It's not the kind of thing you see super often when what you're going for is like narrative drama. I suspect the reason is they just want them to get separated and they, they're not exactly looking for any like major character changes. The other reason to do it this way is that they don't want Charlotte and Sasha to feud right now. Oh, okay. Um, for whatever reason, you know, again, it, it's not the most like narratively satisfying, uh, but they don't want so- uh, Charlotte and Sasha to feud right now. Summer and Bailey have a number one contenders match coming up for the women's championship on the next episode. Yes. So whoever wins that is going to be the one facing Charlotte. So that's kind of my thought as to why they, they did it this way. That um, makes sense. It is not often done where like okay. one, one person is like, you know what? I don't think we should be friends anymore. And they just <laughs> both walk away. Like, that's not very common in wrestling. I know. I was like, this is anticlimactic. I mean, I'm glad <laughs> it's resolved because yeah. it was kind of just dangling there. And so I'm glad that there's an, a period put on this. And sure. who knows? Maybe they'll come back to it. Who the fuck knows? But anyway, knows? you know what's really important, though? What's that? Lady Whistledown's match report. Oh, yeah, it is. Reverend C.J. Parker is an opinionated man, and I dare say the ton have made their opinion on him known, too, quite vociferously at that. The gentleman expressed some distaste for Captain Xavier Woods, and this writer cannot imagine any reason for such a stance. But then, the workings of Reverend Parker's mind has remained a mystery for much of his installment in our social world. He was seen squaring off with Mr. Cutler at last Thursday's ball, a well-formed young man in the plainest blue trunks this author has ever seen. So much so, that were it not for his cleft chin, he appears quite entirely anonymous. (laughs) Reverend Parker gave Mr. Cutler a kicking he'll not soon forget, even yelling into his face that he was ruining the world just like the rest of the ton, which one might have thought would move the crowd to a reaction, and yet there was little more than a smattering of politely tolerant applause. He beat Mr. Cutler into a pin and then took the microphone. 
Reverend Parker shared some thoughts about the doings of Captain Woods since leaving NXT, which is certainly news to this writer. Captain Woods has served as little more than set dressing, but being a man of education, a soon-to-be doctor of education, Reverend Parker finds it enraging that Captain Woods hasn't made more of himself. Why, if he had such promise and opportunity, he would be winning titles and changing the world. How this would occur was never elaborated upon, but the strident yellings of Reverend Parker are not known for their thorough explanations, and as the gathered onlookers did chant no, no, no upon his taking the mic, perhaps short and sweet is the wiser course of action. This author would like to say that they are curious about what may transpire next, but having never lied to you gentle readers before, I hardly see why I should begin now. Let us hope that Captain Woods returns and receives the win that is surely his due. Ah, very good. Thank you, Lady Whistledown. Appreciate it as always. I should mention that uh, I I think in the original version of this episode, I'm not sure why it was cut or like if it was cut from the episode when it originally aired or just not in this version. Like, I don't know. But uh, Xavier Woods did issue a rebuttal backstage which we didn't get to oh. hear, in which he said something about how the rule has always been that dirty hippies don't speak unless spoken to. What the fuck? So I was like, huh, that seems out of character. Wildly so. All right. Backstage, Tyson Kidd talks to Renee Young. This is the weakest character defense I have ever heard. <laughs> I hate it. I love how bad it is. It it's is like so wonderfully terrible. It's like when you know you are in the wrong and you're stubbornly trying to defend your choices, even though you know full well that not only are you wrong, that you're actively being a dumb fuck by deflecting. Yes. yes. It is so terrible. It hurts. And I love it. What a terrible dummy he is. <laughs> There's nothing even to talk about. It's basically him going like, you know, my heart just wasn't in it. I was thinking about my wife. You know, I just I had a bad day. I'm sorry. I don't remember that happening. Yeah. Like, and then he walks off when Renee asks if he and Natalia are having marital problems. So that's telling. He's just like, yeah, you know, I guess I did some stuff that was could be considered evil in like the heat of the moment, which I might not have done if my wife hadn't been there, and if my wife hadn't, you know, lost her match, and then I had to console her, my mind was elsewhere, you know, really it's kind of her fault for yes. constantly being better than me and constantly being around and giving me an inferiority complex. Otherwise, I would have been totally off my game. And then when she asks about the marital problems in an interview that starts with them being like, yeah, no, all questions are okay. He just like, he just walks away. Ugh, it was amazing. I loved it more the second time. It was fucking incredible. It, yeah, I, I love it. <laughs> Main event. All right, that good, good doggo boy bounces out. It's Sammy. I love him so much, Zane. Yep. And then Justin, oh my goodness, he's gorgeous. Gabriel comes out. So like, yay, bouncy boys. I'm yep. very excited. And yet what the actual fuck is this match? <laughs> this match is like slow ground and pound mixed with technical wrestling. It's not bad. There's nothing wrong with it. I just thought I was going to see Justin Gabriel moonsault into outer space and watch Sami Zayn do some crazy shit. It's a lot of them doing arm holds and then getting one another down the mat. I want to ask, is Sami Zayn's superpower that you believe him as he gets worked over and you believe that he's barely hanging on by a thread? Like, is I mean, that basically, the yeah. Thing? Okay. Yeah, his... His superpower is that you he's always able to elicit sympathy no matter what. 
Um, he is, and, I would yeah. save him from anything. I would jump into a river to save that doggo. I thought this match at the beginning was pretty boring. Yes. But it picked up as it went along, and by the end, I was really enjoying it. Mm, okay. <laughs> I, I, you're not wrong, but I'm like, that doesn't excuse what you did to me. Like, you made me sit there and watch this shit, which I was like, I could have had those eight minutes back. I mean, look, that's fine. That match was like 13 minutes long or something. Could have been five, but yeah. <laughs> I guess at the beginning it was really slow, but once it got going, I really, really liked it. I, maybe it was just me, but I thought that a lot of the stuff they were pulling out was really innovative. And I have actually a lot more to say about why the match was boring at the beginning a little bit later on. Okay. Well, after what felt like seven years of rest holds, <laughs> Sami Zayn lifts Gabriel for a backdrop. Gabriel comes back and beans him, collapsing Zayn to the ropes. Clearly, Gabriel is thinking through the fact that maybe that kid guy was right. But fighting Zane is like trying to beat up one of those bopping clowns. You can punch, but I'll just pop right back up again. So then blue thunderbomb, but kick out from Gabriel. Exploder suplex throwing Gabriel into the corner. Kick out. And now we're starting to do something. Gabriel jumps off the corner backwards, kicking at Zane. Gabriel gets Zane in like an upside down backpack and drops Zane's neck across his knee. No oh, dice. We'll talk about that shit later. Now that was terrifying. Moonsault onto Zane, kick out, and that clown bopper thing holds true. Gabriel goes up on the corner and Zane aggressively flops at him to prevent <laughs> a move. And he wobbles up onto the ropes as they battle for who's going to suplex who. And the answer is no one. Zane ends up back on the mat and Gabriel jumps off the top and Zane then jumps into this DDT, grabbing Gabriel, slamming him prone, and then right into that Koji clutch, the erotic knee action that we don't see nearly enough of. And Gabriel Agreed. taps. That was fine. I enjoyed that. I love a Koji clutch me. Mm -hmm. Oh no, Tyson's prophecy came true though. So Tyson Kidd, who's been out here, you know, glowering attacks Zane and stomps him thoroughly. And Gabriel's like, oh, that's mean. And then folds under the merest peer pressure and starts <laughs> kicking Zane too. He's like, oh, no, I don't want to be mean too. He just kind of like shrugs and is like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Thankfully, Neville comes to the rescue. So tag team match probably. And I'm curious to see if it's good or not because this did not win me over. So I'm like, are okay. you going to fuck with right. me again? Are you going to ruin my evening? I have like a weird fondness for this match, but, uh, okay. but I, well, I understand look, why it lost you. And I understand where it lost. I you. mean, I love Mason Ryan. So, you right. know, let he who is without whatever cast the first stuff, you know? Sure. Absolutely. I think that is exactly the saying. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for that breakdown, Bob. Overall, this episode, what did you think? Eh. That's fair. That's fine. I mean, look, the women's match was pretty fucking rad. Yeah. Uh, you can stop there. It's okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but you can't stop all the way there because it's now time for the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. So, Megan Bob, for this episode, what did your elf eyes see? Tyson Kidd's vest made of grommets. <laughs> I just really enjoy hardware on an article of clothing and incongruous hardware at that. I think there must have been maybe 200 grommets on this vest. Sure. 
I have nothing more to say. There were 200 grommets on a vest and I enjoyed it. Okay. Miles, what did your elf I see? I want to go back to that move that you mentioned where Gabriel has Sammy with Sammy's head underneath his arm and, and he's like upside down in Gabriel's grasp and Gabriel drops his head over his knee Yes. It's just fucking brutal. And like, yes. like I said, this match really brought me back around toward the end. One of the reasons is moves like that, which I don't even know what it is. I don't even no. know what you would call it. The fuck you backpack. The fuck you backpack. Absolutely. That's what I would call it if I was a wrestler. That was the enduring visual in this episode for me is the visual of Sami Zayn's head just being crushed between Gabriel's knee and his forearm. It's rough stuff, but I really liked it. Bob. What did your Vulcan ears hear? I'm all excited Enzo's back. Over-caffeinated ferret. And (laughs) Regal just being weirdly delighted with himself and with the idea of over-caffeinated ferrets, as I was. There was something else I really loved, but I didn't fucking catch it. And I was too lazy to go back. It was whenever Tom Phillips tells us the names of all the little... uh, Oh, the tube men? The tube men. And I was like, this is great, but I'm too lazy to go back. Do you know the names of the tube men? Do you know I actually had the exact same experience? I have two men names written down, but I was too lazy to go back and find out what they actually were. Oh, I think no. one of them one of them was Lala, I think. Yeah, he did make a fucking Teletubbies reference. We'll get back to you. We'll, we'll, we'll get oh, sure we fucking will. On the next episode, we'll get back to you with the names of Bailey's two men. All right. What did your Vulcaneers hear? More William Regal for me. A lot of nationalism from our friend here on this episode. Shocking. Uh, from talking about how the French flag is a white cross on a white field. Mm-hmm. To doing an Irish accent when he talks about Becky Lynch. That was not the worst one I've ever heard. I was sort of like, all right. I don't have a visceral reaction to how bad it is. I'm just like, sure. oh, okay. You have heard one before. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously. And I just really, uh, I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed Regal on commentary in general on this episode. Wanted to shout out the, uh, his, his feelings about other countries and how they talk slash surrender. <laughs> I will say he's correct about Blackpool and Dublin being named the same thing. Is he? Um, yeah, no, he's not, he's not bullshitting about that. And I was like, oh, you know, a fact. Good for you. Although I will say <laughs> he does call the language Gaelic and um, it has been drummed into my head repeatedly. The language is not called Gaelic. The language is called Irish. It's not called Fair that enough. in Irish, but I just want to put that out there because I know everybody's like, no, it's called Gaelic. But no, Neil, it drives Neil crazy every fucking time. So I'm like, no, it's just call it Irish. That's what it's called whenever you're over there. This has been Linguistics Minute. Yes. All right, Bob, what did your human heart feel? The casual tension between Breeze and Neville. Mm. I just love that Neville is like, I'm here. Do you want me? And Breeze is like, yes, but I need you to be really upset about it. Damn you. <laughs> love a messy dynamic. But I know it's a thing because there are 20 fanfics about it. Ah. including a great 1920s AU one by Robin Trigg. So check out AO3 for all this and more. Friend of the show, Robin Trigg. Friend of the show, Robin Trigg. Go check out their fanfics. They're dope. All right. What did your human heart feel? Confusion? Uh-huh. Okay. So see if you could follow along with me here. Oh, I've already lost it. Okay, go for it. <laughs> Justin Gabriel is backstage talking to Devin. Tyson Kidd comes up, tells him that in order to avoid obsolescence, 
he has got to be ruthless, just totally destroy all these younger people coming for his spot in the company. Yeah. Justin responds, Tyson, you're wrong. And I'm going to prove that to you by beating Sami Zayn. Okay. So first things first, we have a logic issue there. Like, if you beat Sami Zayn, aren't you proving him right? I see your point. Then, without anything happening in between other than Tyson's interview with Renee, (laughs) he comes out for his match, and Tyson accompanies him to the ring. Why? Why? Why does Tyson accompany him to the ring? They were just arguing. Gabriel says he's going to prove Tyson wrong. I feel like that made sense because he's like, I'm here to see you prove me wrong. Mm, Okay. So then Gabriel gets into the ring with Sammy, spends the entire match wrestling like a heel. That's why you found the beginning of that match boring is that Gabriel wasn't doing any cool babyface shit. He was doing like grounding headlock shit because he doesn't want the crowd to cheer him because that's what wrestling like a heel means. Mm. So he's wrestling like a heel the whole time. And the move I mentioned in sights, like, that's a fucking, that's a monstrous heel move. Like, I mean, I'm not saying only heels can do it, but like, it looks like it killed somebody, which is a thing I usually associate with villains more than heroes. And then at the end of the match, Tyson approaches him like he hasn't turned heel (laughs) and is like, hey, I noticed that you were kind of a heel in that match. (laughs) Would you... Your heel status is still amateur. Would you care to go pro? And, <laughs> and Gabriel is like, yeah, sure, fine. And like, and I guess officially turns heel. Like, what the fuck is going on here? I have written things that make slightly less sense than this. And so <laughs> I feel a certain protectiveness over it as bad okay. writing. And I want to say, like, it's okay to do bad writing. As long as you get there in the end, it's fine. As long as they fuck at the end, it's fine. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, they're definitely fucking now, so... Yeah, they are. They went all in on that Sami Zayn fellow. We know Tyson's not fucking natty, so... Might as well fuck somebody. (laughs) Well, those were the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. Uh, We're gonna move on to our next segments, but first, Bob, do you know what we never did? What? We never gave out our Boerence Olivier Award. (gasps) Yay! So, Bob, who is getting the Bowrens Olivier Award for excellence in acting or performing in this episode for you? Ooh, for outstanding commitment. I thought CJ Parker, he did everything he goddamn could to make that audience give a shit about what he had to say. And it didn't work, but he was putting in the effort and I respect the hustle. So for sheer moxie, even in the face of, you know, indifference, I have to give it to CJ Parker. Fair enough. I think that's a perfectly respectable choice. And who are you giving yours to? Uh, I have to go with Tyson. I got to give it to Tyson. That interview I- segment with Renee was just absolutely a masterclass in I am an absolute fucking shitbird. It's and so true. <laughs> you know, Bob, I mentioned to you when we covered TakeOver that after the match between Tyson and Neville for the title, that Tyson had turned heel. Yes. And... It really honestly took a few episodes for that really to take. It was a little <laughs> bit more of a slow burn than that, which is a thing NXT does sometimes. Okay. Um, but I love that we're now at this point where, like, he's definitely a heel. 
but he's still gonna he's still gonna come at you with this weird fucking baby face jargon, throwing his wife under the bus and being super <laughs> passive aggressive about everything. Yes, he's it's so just- passive aggressive, and I really love that because I'm like, oh, you know what? This is worse than if you were just an asshole. This yeah, is like worse. If, if you were coming out to the rig and like insulting my local sports team, like whatever, you're a garden variety heel. This guy. I want to punch you in the face. Yes. Oh, it's very good heel work. And it's the kind of heel work that is enjoyably horrible and not just like unbearable because like that's a different kind that is you can be passive aggressive and just be like insufferable. Yeah. And you just come across like sniveling. And this is not that this is like. No, I'm a good guy. And you're like, oh, you're not. And you think you are. And you're a monster. <laughs> well, congratulations to CJ Parker and Tyson Kidd for winning this episode's Bullrance Olivier Award for Outstanding Commitment. And with that, speaking of outstanding commitment, I believe Megan Bob has a fanfic for us. I do. <laughs> And I'm very excited to hear it. This is based on the wrestling term of the week from episode 57, which was gimmick infringement. Dearest Mina, I wish to tell you of a strange occurrence in the local fighting circle. I do sometimes attend with my good friend Van Helsing and Dr. Seward. (laughs) We were having a pleasant time. Well, as pleasant as one does when watching men pummel one another, which I confess I haven't as much a taste for as I did when I was younger. At any score, the fight that had been on everyone's lips was finally due to start and a man in a dark cape came out. Evening wear for a fight seemed odd, but not as odd as when he bared his teeth. He had what I can only describe to you as fangs. I wonder, did he have them sharpened? I know that some places on this earth do engage in such practices. He swirled his cape and called himself Vlad Dracula. He was announced as hailing from Marvel, though I've no idea where that is. Could it be in Scotland? I confess, I was never skilled at geography. Being a solicitor hasn't left much time for curiosity about travel either, beyond the necessary. Although when we marry, I shall be sure to take you somewhere suitable on our honeymoon. The Isle of Wight, maybe? As for this Vlad gentleman, he spoke in a deep and resonant voice and said to his opponent, a young brute from the Midlands, You've sealed your end, my friend, for whoever strikes Dracula strikes death. The young man spit on the ground, which Dracula took offense to. The bout was so short that it had hardly begun before the young man was on the ground, his arm at an odd angle. He looked quite pale and must have been injured somehow. His neck was bleeding. Dracula turned to the crowd and said, You have not seen the last of me. I still dream of teeth and power. Before sweeping into the area that served as the backstage. Well, Helsing Seward and myself hardly knew what to think. And then there was a terrible sound from the backstage. We rushed back there and there was Vlad, a stake through his heart and a note pinned to it that simply said, Gimmick infringement. (laughs) The man had perished and there was no saving him. But while we puzzled over the note, another gentleman entered an evening wear, a metal pinned to his chest, a thick mustache and blood-red lips. He had a strange accent. Not one I recognized. He introduced himself as Count Dracula. We immediately deduced he must be a relation of the poor fellow. He said that they were in a manner of speaking. Dr. Seward went to call the coroner while Van Helsing and I offered the Count a drink to steady his nerves. He appeared unshaken and merely shook his head saying, I don't drink wine. He didn't look like a teetotaler, but perhaps he knew that what was to be had backstage at a fight in Blackwall was likely to be of poor quality. 
When the coroner arrived, the Count assured everyone that he would see to all the burial arrangements and thanked us for our help in the matter. He smiled us and had the same sharpened teeth as Vlad Dracula. I could only surmise it was a family tradition of sorts. It was a strange evening altogether and we parted ways sobered by the proceedings. Perhaps I will avoid fights in the future. Although the Count did ask me about attending to some real estate matters for him. So a trip to Romania may be in my future. We shall see, I suppose. Yours fondly, Jonathan. That's very good. Jonathan Harker is a goddamn moron. I am here to <laughs> stand on that hill and scream it to the heavens. Jonathan Harker, you fuckwit. I, I was really expecting two other Draculas to show up at some point over the course of that fic, but I guess it would have gotten very bloated in that case. It would have, although I had a real moment of going like, should I tackle all the Draculas? But no, I must be modest in my, in my Draculas. Well, that's very good. Thank you so much for that, Bob. With that, did you notice? I just want to brag, in case I, because I'm gonna shout, I'm gonna toot my own horn here. Yeah, do did it. you notice that I made sure to do it epistolary style because that's how Dracula is written? I did notice that, and I very Thank much you. appreciated it. Thank you, because I wanted to make sure it was a very pastiche. You nailed it. I loved it, Bob. And uh, I hope you love this episode's wrestling term of the week. And the wrestling term of the week this week is tweener. Yeah! So this is a term Bob asked me about a while ago, and I wanted to bring it up here just because this episode has so much to do with the spectrum of wrestling morality. Now, some people think of a tweener as someone whose actions and character don't match up with the audience's reaction to them, i.e. a heel who gets cheered or a babyface who gets booed. No offense to them, but I would go so far as to say those people are wrong. Uh, <laughs> after all, audience reaction has nothing to do with a wrestler's alignment. That's determined by the narrative. The audience can sometimes help change a wrestler's alignment, cheering a heel until the promotion decides to capitalize on that popularity and turn them face, or boo a face until the promotion feels the need to turn them heel. But there's never, like, a guarantee. John Cena has been lustily booed out of more arenas than you can count. But that's never stopped him <laughs> from being the biggest baby face that ever faced a baby. That's not what being a tweener is. <laughs> a more accurate description of a tweener is that it's wrestling's version of an anti-hero or anti-villain. It's generally a character who isn't particularly concerned about the morality of their actions and who doesn't ally themselves with other characters who fall more straightforwardly in the heel or babyface camps. Tweeners tend to be popular because they tend to be aggressively cool or badass characters who will beat anybody up, regardless of whose side they're on. If a group of faces is brawling with a group of heels in the ring, the tweener might show up and destroy all of them and get cheered for it, even though some of their victims are faces. And I'm mainly describing the anti-hero version of the tweener, because that's the most well-known kind. Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock are two of the most popular characters in wrestling history, and both of them had significant runs as anti-hero tweeners, with Austin, mm. in particular, notoriously willing to hit the Stone Cold Stunner on literally anyone he has ever shared a ring with. <laughs> like, Austin's whole thing was that, like, sometimes he would come down to the ring and, like, help a babyface do something, and then they'd share a beer. Because Austin always had beer. He would call for the beer, and they'd, they'd do a toast and share a beer, and Austin would drink the beer, and then stun the guy for no reason. <laughs> A more modern example might be Brock Lesnar. What? Uh, 
Okay. Who will attack anyone at all for no reason whatsoever. That's because he's not a human being. He's just a homunculi. He doesn't have any <laughs> will of his own. Anti-villain tweeners are less common because they're more complicated. I would say these are characters who do morally ambiguous or even evil things, but for sympathetic or understandable reasons. So like Mick Foley was the perfect example of this over the course Ooh. of his career. And a more modern example would be uh, CM Punk's character during the last several years of his WWE run. In NXT, I think we have a few examples. Late in his run, I think you could call Cesaro a tweener. Mm. I think after this episode, Charlotte is veering heavily into tweener territory because she wants to go it alone and distance herself from traditional heels like Summer and Sasha, which is a very tweener move to like not want the backup to want to do it yourself. You know what I mean? Okay. You could probably even make a case for CJ Parker as like the anti-villain version. Yeah. Uh, although I think it's a bit of a stretch at this point. However, I would not apply the term to characters like Bo Dallas or more relevantly, Tyson Kidd, who, as we discussed earlier, is very much a heel pretending to still be a face. That's a thing a tweener would never do. Yes. Because as it turns out, tweeners are defined by precisely the fact that they don't care what the audience thinks of them. Faces actively seek the support of the crowd. Heels actively despise the crowd. Tweeners couldn't care less about the crowd. That's the material difference between the three major wrestling alignments. That's rad. Yay. Thank you. That helps me understand it in a way because I thought I understood. But as always with wrestling, I didn't truly understand. All right. Well, uh, come back on our next episode for Bob's fanfic explaining the tweener. Can't wait to see uh, which fictional character ends up playing that role. Mm, there's uh, a lot to choose from. There are many, many antiheroes in fiction, believe it or not. All right. We got to get out of here, Bob. But before we can do that, it's time for the Cheap Pop Quiz. On our last episode, Bob achieved the 15 points they needed to get the romance novel bonus episode with the guest. So uh, we're going to start a new round. 10 points once again is what Bob needs for their next romance novel bonus episode. Let's see if they can start off strong. Question number one. Next episode features the return of a crucial character in NXT history, the evil mirror in the women's locker room. <laughs> Which wrestlers are staring into it this time around? Is it A, Sasha Banks sitting in front of the mirror with Summer Rae standing behind her, just like the last time? B, Summer sitting in front of the mirror with Sasha standing behind her in a poetic reversal of the last time? C, Charlotte sitting in front of the mirror with Summer Rae standing behind her talking about taking Charlotte's title? D, Bailey sitting in front of the mirror with Charlotte standing behind her talking about their history? Or E, Becky Lynch sitting in front of the mirror with Sasha standing behind her, clearly attempting to turn her heel. E just sounds so weird out of the box. I'm going to go with E. Okay, E it is. Becky Lynch and Sasha Banks. Question number two. Next episode also features the continuation of the scorching hot feud between CJ Parker and Xavier Woods. What dastardly deed does Parker commit this time? A. He invites Woods out to the ring, but when Woods doesn't show up, Parker starts laughing, and the camera crew discovers an unconscious Woods backstage. B. He invites Woods out to the ring, but then just immediately hits him with a third-eye palm strike, before anyone can say anything. 
C. He invites Woods out to the ring and tries to goad Woods into a fight. When Woods doesn't take the bait, Parker hits him with a third eye palm strike. D. He invites Woods out to the ring, apologizes for his behavior last week, and offers Woods a handshake and a truce. Woods accepts, shakes hands, and turns to leave, at which point Parker kicks him in the back of the head. Or E. He invites Woods out to the ring, apologizes for his behavior last week, and offers Woods a handshake and a truce. Woods declines by making rude hand gestures at Parker, then turns to leave, at which point Parker kicks him in the back of the head. I'm going to go with D. He invites him out for a truce, Woods accepts, and then he gets lit. And question number three. Finally, next episode features the debut of a brand new NXT referee, who used to be an independent wrestler in his own right. Which of the following things is true about this man? A. He was trained by Claudio Castagnoli, a.k.a. Cesaro. B. He was in a tag team with Eddie Kingston in a promotion called Combat Zone Wrestling, but they never won the tag team titles. C. He was a vocal detractor of hardcore wrestling who famously refused to bleed in his matches or do any spots with weapons. D. He's an insane QAnon promoter who got fired from WWE in 2021 after going on anti-mask rants at public school board meetings, yelling at wrestlers for getting vaccines and flu shots, and using his corporate WWE email to coordinate efforts to save the children from the evil, blood-sucking Democrat cabal. Or E, all of the above. (sighs) Miles. Yes. It's E. Okay. I hope it's not E, but I fear it is E. All right, your answer is E, all of the above. And uh, come back once again on our next episode, episode 60, to see how Bob did on this edition of The Cheap Pop Quiz. Well, that's about all we got for this episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. Bob, as ever, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. And I promise if I ever turn heel, I'll do a lot better job than Justin Gabriel did. (laughs) See that you do. Thank you. I have enough self-respect and enough respect for you, frankly, to do I appreciate it that. the justice that it deserves and not just go, oh, okay, I guess. I have a lot of appreciation for you as well, Bob, and also for our patrons who uh, awesome. signed up to support us over at patreon.com slash NXT Wrestling Fan. I wanted to do a quick, uh, a quick little thing here regarding our patrons because it's been a while since we came out with our Ill Omens bonus episode, which was just a thing that Bob and I did like for the fun of it because we yes. love y'all. And uh, we really enjoy your characters and having them interact and seeing what they would do. And we wanted to do a little thing that showed them in their element, so to speak, their fictional element. Yeah. Uh, Ill Omens, as we probably mentioned at the time, was a big lift. Both of Bob and I are going through some stuff right now. Yeah, and, life's uh, a little a little in fuego. Yeah, so we we don't have the, the time or the energy to do another one uh, anytime soon. There's no further ill omens currently uh, being planned. However, uh, Bob and I were talking a little bit, and we came up with the idea that maybe during these outro segments, we could give the occasional update on some stuff happening in the next wrestling fan federation. Yes. Uh, And because this ended up being a bit of a shorter episode, I think this outro is a good place to start that. I actually, I went a little bit ambitious with it. And what I did here, Bob Mm -hmm. is I'm setting something up. So this episode that you're listening to now, episode 59 is probably going to be the last one for at least a little while 
where Bob and I are both here doing the outro. We don't currently know how the outros are going to go for episodes 60 and 61. Full disclosure, we are not editing them. We are paying Lucas Brown to do it because he's great. and because, He's so great. We love him. Yeah, and because uh, I'm about to have a baby and Bob has some other stuff going on, as mentioned. So whatever gets set up here on this outro is not going to bear any fruit until we come back, until our lives have settled a little bit. And, uh, and we come back to Earth and, you know, kind of are able to resume our regularly scheduled uh, shenanigans. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to set this up for you and y'all get to think about it and marinate in it and maybe, you know, send us your thoughts or send us, uh, you know, any ideas you might have. So what we're doing, because currently we have 38 fictional characters in the next wrestling fan federation and two of those are managers. OK, so like dedicated managers. So that leaves us with 36. And with 36, that's just the best ever number for a trios tournament. <laughs> oh, yeah. So we're going to have a trios tournament and it's going to play out over the course of the outros. I have some ideas for like what forms is actually going to take like and and how we're actually going to make this a thing. That's all going to have to wait until after we come back. But for now, I just wanted to give you the teams that are <gasps> going to be involved in this trios tournament. So here we go. Team number one, Sidreal Constellation and the Dark Dragon, Danny Blackson, who have previously been the team known as Star Dragon, are now going to be joined by the Lightspeed Luchador, Cosmica. Ooh, okay. Team number two, Crash Tag and Fat Blunt 69. I believe High Tech was the name of the team. Yes. Uh, they will be joined by environmentalist superhero Goodwill Green, who I have actually spent some time further developing for this, and I'm excited to share it with you. Oh, this is an interesting mix of technology and the Earth. I yes. have thoughts. Overton, Payne, and the Brick Toss Kid are newest mm-hmm. signees, and their sort of uh, opposed but synchronistic dynamic are going to be joined by someone who won't throw that off in any way, Artemis uh. Gestalt. Oh, Oh, geez. Okay, I hope (laughs) the relationship survives this great upheaval. Uh, The team of Red Moon Rising, uh, made up of good werewolf boy Seth Luna and uh, celebrity rock star Minerva Frost, are going to be joined by Eric LaRue, a.k.a. The Phantom, so we'll see how (gasps) that works out. Oh, this, oh, God, is this going to be some sort of triangle, but of what we know not? (laughs) We have Harry Bumblespike of Bumblespike Hall, our reigning champion, along with their partner, Oliver Silvers, uh, a.k.a. the man of some consequence. They will be teaming up with the high-flying Changeling. Oh, ooh. oh boy. I don't know if Changeling's going to put up with their bullshit, but we'll see. <laughs> and then we have an all-female team of characters who are explicitly women and are explicitly here to teach you some shit. Courtney Barrister, attorney at Raw. Mildred oh, Burns yeah. and Carol Staples. And uh, wow. you might remember that Carol Staples was in a tag team uh, with Prometheus Jones called Stealing Fire. The condition of that tag team was left a little bit nebulous at the end of Illumins. And uh, I'm sorry to report that Prometheus Jones has turned heel. And <gasps> uh, that is why they are no longer a team. Oh, wow. But Prometheus Jones will be teamed up with Bryony Blood and Rutherford Hunt for their trios tag Ooh. team. Kind of exploring the dark side for the first time. Baby's first, right. like, heel turn. I'm very right. here for this. Uh, then we have uh, Dylan Dalbridge and the Drop Bear, 
Uh, <laughs> you recall that Dylan Dulbridge is the rich kid who gets like various amounts of money from his family yes. will if he does things in wrestling and the drop bear is kind of his like gruff mentor. They're going to be joined by Kevin Van Hoos, who thinks he can help <gasps> Dylan with some of the paperwork involved in some of this stuff. Oh, my God. But I think that, like, Dalbridge is going to be increasingly going to Van Hoos for, like, advice, and the drop bear doesn't know what to make of this guy. He thinks he's kind of slimy. Oh, no. Okay, I like this a lot. Uh, we have the team of Space and Time, Flash Orion, and LeBlanca, managed by Paul Jeffries. This was also a team that was left a little bit shaky after Illumins, but they've made it work so far. And uh, thanks to the efforts of Paul Jeffries. And they're going to be joined by someone who is not aligned with them in character, the time-traveling hero Charles Recon. <gasps> oh, no! Who, like, you just know somebody was like, hey, you're a time-traveler, she has a watch, like, just be in a team together. Nobody at all is happy about it. Jeez, that's gonna be a lot of infighting. I That's gonna be <laughs> messy. The ref's gonna have to be watching every direction. The Culture Warriors, Sebastian Couture and Matt Matrix, are going to be joined by Addison Hush, uh, who shares their sort of elitist tendencies in various ways. We have the team of Harley, Hale, Ferguson, Locke, and Flanagan Slay, who, as oh. you recall, joined forces at the end of Illumins. I do love that team. Yeah, under the auspices, of course, of Watership Doom. Ferguson, Slock, and Flanagan Slay are still the tag team champions. Watership Doom, of course, no longer the next Wrestling Fan Federation champion. And some weird stuff going on with Watership Doom. Uh, oh, lately... Yes? Him and Neil have <gasps> been engaged in kind of a weird, like, heel-on-heel -heel feud over this mysterious, ethereal, evil woman, Morgan Mab, the Queen of Cobwebs. Oh. And, uh, but it's funny, like, it's weird. The more they fight over her, the more they found themselves, like, teaming up and fighting who she wants them to fight. It's bizarre. Anyway, <gasps> the three of them are a tag team. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> we have a big bad. <laughs> yeah and those are the uh, the 12 teams that are involved so there's going to be six first round matches and after which there will be six teams then three more semifinal matches and the final will be a trios triple threat those are the teams i i do have a a bracket in mind but i'm not going to reveal anything about that yet you're going to have to wait again and marinate in this until bob and i come back from uh from our lives being on fire so, if you know nothing else about Miles, he loves a bracket. He I loves love a, bracket. a bracket. It's very true. That's what we got coming for you. I hope y'all are excited about it. Feel free to tweet at us at NXT Wrestling Fan, email us at NXT Wrestling Fan at gmail.com, or use any of the various means you have of getting a hold of us. This is what we're doing. More to come. More to come. And definitely don't worry if you're team gets knocked out i don't think that means that your characters are necessarily out because there's gonna be fallout i suspect every level of this tournament is gonna be in the service of building future storylines so don't uh don't necessarily worry if you get knocked out especially like in the first round that we don't care about your characters because we we have places we're going folks miles has probably an imaginary binder full of ideas about how the long life of this promotion is going to play out over the next two decades so i don't know what you're i don't know what you're talking about i don't know what you are talking about you're in good hands everybody you're in very good hands hey we also want to thank our patrons for recently helping us reach our 200 goal yes we really thank appreciate you. that 
We provided you with a list of five things that we wanted to uh, cover. You selected Tender Wings of Desire, the KFC promotional stunt slash romance novella, <laughs> uh, which Bob and I, as of this recording, have read and recorded an episode about. So that you know will it. be coming your way very shortly. I am going to let you know now. I'll be the one editing it. And my goal is to have it in your feed by Thanksgiving's. Thanksgivings. That's fair. And we also recorded the romance bonus episode, and that should be out by the ween. Yeah, that's going to be out really soon as you're listening to this. So, uh, like, really soon. So if you haven't yet gotten your hands on How to Marry a Millionaire Vampire by Carolyn Sparks, now is the time to do that if you want to follow along with the two of us and our special guest, Chris Newton. This book took us some places. It really did. All right, y'all. Thank you so much. For everything you do, thank you for supporting Bob and I through times that are, if not terrible, then difficult in their own ways. Yeah, uh, for sure. And we just really appreciate the fact that you all keep coming back to this podcast and listening to it. We love making it for you. We love doing all the bonus stuff. Um, yes. So, yeah. Thanks again. Again, not sure what the situation is going to be with the outros for 60 and 61 but regardless of any of that, we will see you in two weeks with a new episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. Bon nuit. <laughs> Wait, no, that means good night. I was supposed to say goodbye. Ah, oh, crap. I messed it up. Oh, well. <laughs>The Next Wrestling Fan is produced by Miles Schneiderman and Megan Bob, with logo design by Claire Mulcairin. Special thanks to Rafael Medina for our theme song, Learn Buckle. You can follow his creative work on Twitter at EarthMofo. Also thanks to Kevin McLeod for additional music and stingers, which are licensed under Creative Commons. Find his work at www.incompetech.com. We're on Twitter and Facebook as the NXT Wrestling Fan. Come talk to us. You can also follow Miles on Twitter at MJ Schneiderman and Megan Bob at Megan Bobness. The NXT Wrestling Fan is made possible thanks to our supporters on Patreon. If you'd like to help us out, go to patreon.com slash NXT Wrestling Fan and join our fantastic stable of contributors. They're the best. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email us at nxtwrestlingfan at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. Fun story. When the Good Brothers, who were with AJ Styles in WWE, they came to El Paso, and their cheap heat attempt was calling it El Crapso. <laughs> it was <laughs> fucking chef kiss levels of mediocre. I was like, did you write that in the bathroom before you came out? That is awful. So uh, happy. El Crapso. It's so bad. It's so those two men are just staggeringly mediocre at their jobs it's amazing i know no they are they are the poster children for white men failing upwards and i i hate it (laughs) but i'm also like it's like watching something that shouldn't be able to happen happen and you're like how is this frog like 
tap dancing on a beach ball. Like, I don't understand this. What This is going to fall apart at any fucking second. If those two were like regions in the afterlife, Mindy St. Clair would live there. 